Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. <laughs> this is Michael Mann, and I ride with Extended Clip. Welcome to Extended Clip. I am one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. And joining us on the other side of the coast, calling in from New York City, right? Yes. Gotta have my locations there. I'm in Brooklyn, specifically. Exactly. (laughs) This is like old school radio style. The person's got to say where they're calling in from. So we have... (laughs) Brianna from Brooklyn on the line. <laughs> What's on your mind tonight? No. <laughs> That's how you should read Brianna. Yeah. Brianna from Brooklyn. Yeah. Like Alice from Queens kind yeah. of. You know? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have film critic, uh, writer at large, uh, online mm-hmm. uh, cinema celebrity, Brianna Ziegler. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you for having me. Honor to be here. Finally. 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 (laughs) Uh, So the two movies that Brianna brought to us uh, within this scheme of our reunion tour timeline are The Ladies' Man from 1961 by Jerry Lewis and Inferno from 1980 by Dario Argento. Now, Brianna, why was it this pair of films that you felt like bringing to the podcast? I honestly don't. I think well, it might have been JT's no, I, idea. Well, it was. It was some. There's some. There's some backroom, uh, like uh, boyfriend wheeling and dealing here. Certainly, <laughs> is that what they call it? Um, as John Cale would say, wheelie dealy know how. <laughs> I helped guide the hand of like just sort of like okay, these are the years we have, and then I just sort of yeah. went through. Uh, Brianna's letterboxed and I was like okay like what are like what are interesting things to talk about I mean I feel like there is like like some kind of connect the, the connective tissue here is really women yeah uh, in and a way like a big crazy <laughs> house yeah houses. A, a big crazy oh house. yeah they didn't even recognize the fucking yeah. connection oh, yeah, that's, that's so I true. thought that's why you picked these is like oh it's like a big crazy house and house a lot theory. of ladies yeah Big house theory, big, big movie for house theory and like house planning that. and real estate. Well, because a lot of times like architecture kind of like overwhelms human drama in films like Antonioni and stuff like that. And then sometimes you just like want a big scary building too, you know. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of what Inferno is all about is just like having a big scary building. Yeah. Uh, but we'll get to that. And how it's important to have. What if you had like half of a really crazy house? Like it was like a like the ultimate mid-century modern american very uh colorful stylish dollhouse literally structured like a dollhouse that's split into half so you can see into every room that is the production design and architecture premise of our first movie the ladies man by jerry lewis 
the narrative premise, of course, is uh, the, the kid, Herbert H. Hebert, in this movie, one of the great Jerry names, uh, he gets cucked at graduation day from junior college, mind what? you. Yeah. Uh, so this is like two years after high school. Like he's Valedictorian like, style. Yeah, valedictorian of community college rules. Like, that's wow. awesome. <laughs> Uh, and so he gets cucked and decides he wants to be a bachelor for life. And uh, where does he find himself? But a home for women. Uh, yeah. And so he has to work there and get along with the ladies. And for most bachelors, it sounds like a, a dream haven, right? But for the you know old, uh, what's his name? Humbert Humbert? What is, uh, <laughs> Herbert <laughs> H. Hebert. Yeah, yeah, Humbert Hebert. Uh, he, it's, <laughs> it's a nightmare for him. And, you know, that's kind of where we get the Jerry Lewis, you know... Uh, Mother, where are you? Yeah, are he's you? asking for Ma. And yeah. who is Ma but him in this movie? <laughs> yeah. In one of the great reveals ever uh, at the end of the intro scene of this after he's running around yelling for Ma uh, and we see his dad crying for like long shots. Then we finally get that reveal uh, that was just the back of a head but turns around to be just Jerry Lewis in old Jewish lady drag. And it is fucking hilarious. I lo- I, that's one of the best things this movie has going for it is jerry lewis's uh obsession with shouting ma when he's scared of women and his mom just being a mirror image of him basically wow. <laughs> it's uh hey Bo is afraid take notes buddy <laughs> uh brianna had you seen many jerry lewis movies before this one what did you think of this what was your o- initial takeaway this was my first one, actually, which I just checked because I finished it today. I was too sleepy to finish it last night, but I checked mm-hmm. my letterbox. I had watched it right before I moved to New York at the end of 2021. Um, and then since then, I checked and I have seen, I think, four or five more. I saw mm-hmm. The Errand Boy, The Bell Boy, Smorgasbord, also with JT. Um, nice. Wait, JT, did we also watch The Bellboy together? Yeah, we watched The okay, Bellboy together. Okay, we watched The Bellboy together. I've also seen Hollywood or Bust. Um, oh, I've also seen Artists and Models. And I feel Classic. like I might have seen... Uh, so good. I might have seen another... Um, that's with a, that's a good bulk of them. Yeah, no. I um, Yeah, I, I loved... It's like... It's funny. It's, I feel like it's similar with Sandler, where it's like, mm-hmm. I don't really find his movies funny, but like they really entertain me. I think, honestly, Jerry Lewis's movies do make me laugh more than Sandler's, but um, I was just like very... The Ladies' Man was like a good one to get into first, because like whether or not I'm like into some of the comedy, like the whole thing is just so like creative and like mm-hmm. gorgeous and entertaining. Yeah, no, the filmmaking of The Ladies' Man is, like, the best entryway to show yeah. you Jerry Lewis as an artist, you know? Uh, that, that was the whole thing. I mean, obviously, people listening to this podcast don't need the background <laughs> info, but, you know, obviously, Jerry Lewis, a big clown over here, and then the, the French were like, oh, he's actually an auteur. Yeah. And then, Ask your parents about Jerry Lewis. They'll be like, my kid's a fucking idiot. Yeah, and then, you know, that translates to back here throughout the second half of the 20th century, people making fun of the French for liking Jerry Lewis, even. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's just like, if you want to get into him as an artist, you just watch this movie. And just the way that he sets up like a almost like Jacques Tati like mise en scène for himself Mm. to just play around in and goof off. And like this guy was playing the clown at like the height of uh, Hollywood studio artistry throughout the 50s. So then in the 60s, by the time he gets to direct, 
uh, after like starring in these huge movies for five years, he's learned from the best technicians in the world, basically. He's learned from Frank Tashlin and all these DPs that worked with them and production designers that worked with them. He has Edith Head doing the costumes on this movie. Like she did all the Hitchcock movie costumes, you know? Uh, it, it's just like him utilizing the peak of Hollywood artistry through his own super stupid lowbrow art. But still, it's that personal artistry getting through a factory line, you know, production style that is Hollywood that makes Jerry such an anomaly. And, like, I um, I mean, I feel like at this point now I've seen enough Jerry's where I can, like, sort of, like, because obviously he's taking, like, inspiration from directors that he worked with mm -hmm. um, that like Tashlin and Tarog and like uh, some of those other guys. And like now, I don't know. I feel like when we had previously talked about Jerry Lewis uh, with uh, hardly working, mm -hmm. that was the first directorial effort I had seen of his. Oh, wow. And now I just like, <laughs> um, I I've seen it a few, like, I think in terms of directorial efforts, this bellboy smorgasbord, hardly working. And in terms of differentiating like his unique style, um, as opposed to like the, uh, directors that inspired his foray into filmmaking. I just really love how those narrative, like the narratives he seems to take on are pretty, like are incredibly loose. There is mm -hmm. no like story is like almost, out the window and it's just sort of like a fun collection of gag scenes that just like again like i think brandon bring up sandler obviously a very apt comparison because there is that kind of like hangout gag sort of vibe to it yeah i mean that's what i love about a premise like the ladies man or the errand boy or smorgasbord uh, but then I think there's another side of that, too. I think it's all on a scale because you look at some of his other narrative films that he directed, or I, I should say his more narrative films rather than the more sketch comedy ones, like The Bellboy and The Errand Boy. Those are just, like, sketch comedy movies, basically, and that's why yeah. they're so fucking good. It's just, like, mm -hmm. you're just hanging out with Jerry goofing off for 90 minutes. But then The Nutty Professor, I think, is a lot more narratively driven. Mm -hmm. uh, and, like, the production design, like The Ladies' Man, really feeds into it as well. Uh, and then I think The Patsy is, like, incredible on a narrative level. The Patsy is, like, a high-level comedic drama uh, yeah. from, you know, the early 1960s. I, I think that's one of the most underrated. If there's some Jerry auteurs out there that want to see him as, like, a crime kind of thriller <laughs> filmmaker really showing off his chops narratively and also just doing the classic jerry shtick uh definitely check out the patsy but yeah i agree it's like both sides of a continuum you know and this movie is just like a great premise for him to goof off for 90 minutes and it's beautiful because of that no yeah i i think i haven't seen the patsy which i i should watch because I, I honestly i don't think of a lot of his movies going like a heavy narrative route mm -hmm. like it really is kind of like gag after gag after gag you know famously the bellboy kind of opens you know at the beginning and saying that there's no plot no yeah. story yeah and that's kind of like the most efficient version of like a jerry movie kind of like a almost like his black and white hong sang su like uh, movie minutes, version all shot at yeah. a hotel yeah 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 exactly it's there's you know similarities are 
I guess end and begin there. But um, I would actually yeah, yeah. say the most narratively driven yeah. uh, film that he directed would be Three on a Couch. Yeah, that one. I that think the dramatics funny. of that one are the best he ever achieved. It's not very funny. It's actually yeah. kind of too cruel to be funny almost. But it's funny when you rewatch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at first it's like, oh, this is like kind of harrowing. <laughs> totally. And like, I think with the uh, the ladies man, I think this is kind of like the most artistically thought out version of like the, those kind of uh, kind of like sketch by sketch basis. And he's kind of yeah. given a lot to play with here. He's got like, you know, all the different women that live there and they all kind of have like a unique thing that they might do, whether they're like an actress, you know, pretending to do lines or they're, uh, you know, hanging upside down in their room like a bat, you know, or, and or, you know, it's and kind of like the, you know, a random guy will pop in and, Usually it is kind of just like Jerry trying to solve a problem, but there's a lot more variables in this one. I mean, there's a whole like uh, like 20 minute like production parody that, you know, yeah. this movie really kind of just f- follows wherever Jerry wants to go. But it, it's at such a level, you know, where the production design, costuming, all the stuff is kind of like at a higher level than, you know, ev- even more usual. And that's why, yeah, it, I think it is like a perfect introduction to Jerry Lewis. If you've ever been skeptical of him, I think this is like, if you just think he's going to be making like annoying voices for 90 minutes, yeah. th- this is probably the most palatable version, but I don't, I don't mean, I don't mean to say palatable, like, cause I, all that stuff's good. I like the, the goofy stuff, you know, of yeah. course, but uh, and also he yeah. will never get away from the goofy stuff. I say yeah. three on a couch is harrowing. And then you just think about him in that cowboy costume and it's like, come on, man. Yeah. That's the goofiest shit ever. Uh, <laughs> but like three on a couch, I just think the dramatics of it are very fucked up, I guess, in a way that stuck with me. Um, I love the introduction to the house in this, like a lot of long takes in this like uh, trombone led kind of jazzy song where you're watching all these women wake up in the house and then it just keeps cutting back to Jerry's ass sticking out of his bed. <laughs> uh, it's just a great way, like a uh, very selfless introduction, almost <laughs> like three minutes of just like women getting ready for their day. By, led by trombone as you're just like in awe of this production design and this like dollhouse setup that uh you know astute uh criterion like viewers will uh, recognize this setup uh once again by jean-luc godard in tu va bien uh he recreates that as like the uh the scene of like a workplace like you know, union struggle or something like that. Like he does the offices in Tuvabian the same way as uh, the ladies' man, basically. Oh, damn, I have to see that. I, I didn't know about that. Yeah, it's pretty sick, honestly. That's like his biggest Jerry homage, definitely. And like with, I mean, you talk about like the way he like sort of luxuriates in like these kind of long takes, like showing the scale and scope of the production design here. I think that like, while we had we did talk about like some of the like Jerry films that are kind of like gag a minute movie and sort of like movies and like sketch comedy uh, adjacent, I think that it it's neat because we do get some sketches that are less like humorous and just more like I don't know like just entertaining spectacle. Mm-hmm. Like you get the um, Miss Cartilage like dance number. Um, you get like, obviously sort of like the emotional, like, I don't want to say core of the movie, but like for a movie that is mostly just 
Jerry being like a complete dumbass. Um, like it is very, I do think that moment towards the end where he's just sort of wants to be like wanted and needed is like a very like felt uh, scene because I think of just how, I don't know, great of a performer he is. Yeah. But there I is think that the sort scenes of with that woman, Faye, who very creative mm-hmm. screenwriting there, uh, faith being the woman who cucked him and Faye being the one who wants uh, him to be a normal person. <laughs> really couldn't stretch it that much further. Uh, but uh, yeah, so she has a couple scenes with him that are like the more emotionally level scenes of the movie. And honestly, if you've seen The Errand Boy, it's like uh, the scenes with Jerry talking to the puppet. It's kind of the same uh, yeah. kind of thing as that, which is like adorable, but it's kind of funny that it's just like the same function as a puppet is what this girl is in this movie. But it, it works totally. Yeah. Well, um, I think The Errand Boy is a super similar movie to this, though. It's like made in the same year it's like the black and white more brash version of this uh it's like the the b-side of the ladies man would be the errand boy made in the same year for like a quarter of the budget or something like that right on that topic um i went and saw the errand boy um in on 35 millimeter and it was introduced by owen klein um who directed funny pages upcoming guest oh yeah dude that's right holy shit um but yeah, so so uh, Owen Klein interviewed, I forget the guy's name, but he was like Jerry Lewis's archivist. Mm-hmm. And he said that, um, I forget exactly what he said in regards to like the shoestring budget, or not shoestring, but like the lower budget of Aaron Boy versus the ladies man that same year. But he talked about how like the ladies man, I think was like Jerry Lewis's like big blank check. And then he just like mm-hmm. never... He never had that again. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I could be wrong, but like, no, I mean just, that like, sounds right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for a movie that's so heavy on gags, can we just like name things that are funny? Because uh, one of them is like a when when he has to eat breakfast and he doesn't want to eat breakfast and uh, he has to sit in the high chair <laughs> like a baby. The wide shot of him sitting in the high chair. Ooh, that gets me every fucking getting time. Getting force fed some oatmeal. That, just that's so good so good and it's like, like get, get another spoonful actually yeah that's a great example of also how he stretches out bits that's like what a lot of people don't like about jerry lee's how they'll get turned <laughs> off by him not just the stupid faces but if they don't like a joke the joke is also going to last two and a half minutes maybe uh, there's a possibility and him being force-fed slop uh in his nose and across his face lasts way too long and it's so fucking funny <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, uh, like, something I didn't quite recognize maybe the first time I saw this, this is kind of like, I guess, going back towards the beginning, but, like, the way, like, his, you know, tragedy of being cheated on is, like, treated is very funny. Like, every time he tells someone, everyone's like, oh, my God, dude, like, are yeah. you okay? <laughs> like, what's going on? Like, How it, could someone do this to you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, like, <laughs> like it is, it is kind of, I'm kind of recognizing now it's like, you know, Lewis is kind of like, I don't know, poking fun at kind of like the psyche, you know, male psyche sometimes mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, your high school girlfriend breaks up with you like, I, I fucking hate women for six years now. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like <laughs> that, 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 that like happened. And it's, you know, of course, anyone being unfaithful, that's not good. But it's it's like it, it is like a strong take there. <laughs> you know, I, I, I had to come out in front of it. You know what I mean? Of uh, course, you got to yeah. get in front of these kind of when we talk about yeah. ethical things on this podcast, like yeah. things that are like cross the line in terms of morals. <laughs> you got to step in front of it. Be like, look, I don't condone cheating on Jerry Lewis. Yeah, I would yeah. never do that. I, I've been kind 
trying to shift the podcast towards more of like a like a societal questions type yeah. podcast <laughs> more than the film. But, um, <laughs> cheating's bad, you know. We, I guess you know. I, I guess I didn't that even need to say. That sounds more like it. a societal answer than a question. <laughs> well, that's what makes the show great. We get answers and questions. But um, uh, I love when Buddy Lester shows yeah. up uh, as William C. Gainsborough. The C is for killer. Uh, is like a film noir type villain uh, with the scar on his face which is funny because then George Raft from Scarface shows up a couple scenes later but uh, the first of many uh, maybe we could get it weaved jokes uh, throughout the Jerry Lewis filmography maybe we could get it weaved fix the head put it on my head I don't like it that way. Is that all right? No. Uh, one of the funniest, just another one of those bits that just gets elongated so long. Any any favorite gags from you guys on the phone? I was going to mention that one uh, yeah, with uh, same. Buddy Lester because it's just like, he carries it out so long, but, like, there are, like, variations on it. Like, obviously, there's some bits that just, like, go long and, like, nothing really changes. But I love how the dynamic shifts where Buddy Lester is just fucking, like, he comes in as this huge abrasive tough guy. And then is just worn down by Jerry being an annoying pussy. Yeah, it's fucking great. I love it. Um, yeah, and George Raft coming in and him, like, doing the tango with Jerry and then George Raft's date just, like, looking up from the balcony, looking at them dancing together, like, what the fuck is going on here? (laughs) (laughs) That's also great. (laughs) Oh, also, I don't know, I love the, when they go to filming Mrs. Well and Mellon's house and all the Mm -hmm. metatextual sort of, like, filming stuff, uh, is, like, very fun. Because it's just, like, I, I don't know, it's, like... The way, for a second, I was just confused because of, like, it's kind of indulging in the layout of the set being, like, a set and, like, Mm -hmm. not, like, a plausible real house. Um, Just because you get all the wires and cords, (laughs) like, weaved in and out of the rooms, like, through, like, part of the barriers. But just, I don't know, he has some fun filmmaking kind of jokes and riffs there, like, with uh, him... Like one just like blocking Mrs. Well and Mellon with his ass when he's on a screen. Um, then like before that happens, when he sort of like uh, when he's test like doing the sound test with the audio guy and like screams into the microphone. Um, I should have done that when we were checking the mics today. I thought that would take a little inspiration from Jerry. Good That'd reference. be a great fit. Yeah. We would have appreciated it. No, I mean, I, I've, I've read The Total Filmmaker before, like the Jerry Lewis book, where he talks about, like, his filmmaking process. And, like, you know, you obviously, I, you know, the, the cat's out of the bag. He was a very involved director. But, like, reading that book, he really, like, he, he went out of his way to know every single part of the filmmaking process. And kind of reading that kind of shaped, especially the kind of, like, uh, you know, fake TV segment portion of the movie is just how obsessed he is with film production itself and kind of like like almost everything's kind of touched on whether it's like the quality of it in the movie or the, like uh, a gag 
is commenting on it like the sound thing like you know like jerry was like a you know a real uh freak like that when it came to directing like he was he would go around to every department and kind of like make sure they were all on their a game and i feel like you know kind of with like the high budget and like the unique set i feel like this is just kind of like like him kind of indulging in his love for filmmaking and kind of just luxuriating in all the features that make uh make his movies great no, absolutely well said. This is him as the total filmmaker. You know, yeah. this is him in total filmmaker mode. This is him, you know, as I said, like uh, the premise isn't even really the narrative premise of the movie. The premise of the movie is like, what if Jerry Lewis directed a movie where, you know, you were just like hanging out with him in a surreal version of a mid-century modern dollhouse for 90 minutes and it just works it's just like the the best his mise-en-scene ever was it's just so involved and cheeky kind of the way that he cheats with walls and everything and the way that it lends itself to the playful comedy and i i just think this is one of it's one of my favorite films i i voted it on the uh the sight and sound uh oh, you know wow. a little uh hell yeah you know Oh, humble brag! I uh... yeah, me and JT are sitting amongst two sight and sound uh, poles. Yeah, we're just two fucking yeah, bums. I, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, I had the burden of choosing the ladies' man over so many other great films. You know, over the uh, Tim Curtains, <laughs> the ladies' man. Uh, Tim Curtain, did or you what? say? Or who? Who's the lead of that movie? Tim the, Meadows. Tim perhaps? Meadows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Saturday Night Live, starring Tim Curtains. <laughs> <laughs> still, still, still tracks pretty well. I don't know about that. <laughs> the, yeah, the metalheads are gonna. Be yeah, you know, about you know that. that guy that's in like every comedy in the late two thousands, early twenty tens, Tim Curtin. <laughs> I was just getting close. You know, it's like when you Google search something. You know, you know it's gonna. If you cor- it's gonna Tim correct. Curtains, you're not gonna get fucking yeah, Tim you Meadows. Are. Yeah, you. Oh, you're not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Try it at home. It works. Everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. That's how I. That's how I. You know, I made that mistake, actually. That is how you made that mistake. I'm sure. I'm sure. I give this five bullets. I think it's just one of my favorite movies ever. Uh, JT, you go. Um, yeah, I'm going to go four and a half bullets. This is one that, like, I don't know. I want to return to it. I need to fill out uh, the rest of the Jerry filmography. But with Jerry, he's someone special where it's like um, when we had rob on a while ago he he talked about like when he discovers a filmmaker that he really loves um rather than just like barreling through the filmography he tends to like wait a little bit and because i don't know jerry has i don't know not all that many movies i am just taking my precious time and uh i mean obviously they're always there to revisit but this is just a a classic example of why he's the man and one of the greatest uh, what about you, Brianna? Thank you for bringing this film on. What What are your general final Jerry thoughts and on this movie and a rating, if you will? Um, I, right. I forgot about the bullet thing. Um, so is it out of five bullets? Is that the it amount is of out bullets? Of five. Oh, yes. okay. Amazing. That is the maximum amount. <laughs> and you can have bullets. We have bullets here. Wait, can I? 
I haven't listened to enough of your podcast to know, but why do you do bullets? Can I ask? I think it's because it's ex- when we started it, Malcolm was like very passionate about <laughs> Second Amendment rights. No. And since he's kind of faded <laughs> on it, like it, it, it clearly was kind of a trend thing. Well, the, the podcast name is After a, is all a those school un- shootings, Malcolm trick. realized it's not really a good look for us. <laughs> yeah. Was, I kind of was. I was like, "That's kind of a cool way to make your voice heard." But then a couple sure. more came. I'm like, "That's that's a bit too much." But, uh, <laughs> it's like it's it's referring to an extended clip at in a gun, but there's also extended clips in movies. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Wow. So it's kind of like the, the podcast is powerful like a gun. But also, I just realized that I guess I I learned from a, a gun nut. A gun nut told me that. Extended clip is a is a it's slang. It's not an official term. No, You're supposed yeah. to say magazines or something like that. So, well, oh, interesting. So yeah, I guess, let's let's take our let's take our <laughs> advice from people that spend time thinking about gun vernacular. I know. Well, no, yeah. I just it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it looked like I was the gun guy. I I don't know. I don't know much. I guess. Yeah. Um. Well, if, if anything, it's really good for uh, uh, search engine op- optimization. Extended clip, clip podcast, great, great, of, uh, podcast, great for SEO. <laughs> you definitely, just don't find a bunch of episodes of the Young Turks that says Young Turks extended clip, and it's like what. That's okay. True. A lot of podcasts like to put out extended clips of their podcasts, but you know. Um. Okay. So, so that's why now this show will be called. The Eddie Podcast. The Eddie Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the iPod Video Memorial Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> okay, sorry. Brianna, go ahead. No. Um, okay, so I, I'll give this um, four bullets. Um, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I really maybe four and a half. I don't think quite five, but I really, really like this movie. I mean, it's just like... I really like Jerry Lewis's shtick. He's so, like, goofy and and lovable and stupid. And I love just how, like, I mean, it's just such a gorgeous movie. Like, the, obviously, we've already talked about, like, the dollhouse set and the JT was talking about the ingenuity with the filmmaking scene and using, like, the open design of that, um, of the house to, like, play around with that. Um, I also wanted to bring up, I was talking with JT, like, I mentioned it briefly before we started, but Miss Cartilage's room, that whole sequence is, One like... One of the best scenes. It's fucking incredible. It's, like, I, I love it so much. There's something very, like, horror movie, like, creepy about it. Like, she's very creepy. The way you're, he's, like, not allowed to... Like, he's told, like, three or four times like don't go into her room and then he like goes in and it's this like giant like all white like crystal room that like opens up magically somehow in the back and she's like in she's upside down in like a weird cat suit and her face is like pale white i was saying to jt i didn't even think about the connection of the big houses between this and inferno but i also like one of my little like niche like things that I really love in movies. It scratches a brain itch. It scratches like secret rooms mm. and like I don't know like like because her room is kind of like you're not allowed to go in it and then it ends up yeah. being this whole thing and then there's another secret room behind it. That kind of shit. That's why I like Love's Under the Silver Lake so much. It's like a mm. movie all about secret rooms and tunnels. I, I just fucking I love like that. Like a kid that would burrow into a crawl yeah, space. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We had, a, we had a crawl space in my house growing up, and we didn't go in it that often, but I loved that it was there, you know? 
<laughs> you should check out this, uh, I think, Gary Busey movie called Hider in the House. Ooh. Where he's like okay. hiding in the walls. Ooh. <laughs> Busey hiding in the walls sounds hilarious. <laughs> like 90s Busey? Yeah, Hider in the House. One of the best like names for a high concept <laughs> genre movie. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 you know, if you're looking for a specific thing, it really does deliver, you know. Okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, that Miss Cartilage scene, man, it's so good. It's like, you know, totally a tone shifter. Obviously, the whole movie, he's been like avoiding, uh, I guess, sexuality kind of. And then the the first person who's like very like outrightly kind of trying, not seducing him, but it, it is a very uh, sensual dance that she does yeah. with him at first with him just being the dork. Uh he just gets so scared. <laughs> it like he comes out of it thinking it's a dream, and then he sees he's holding a piece of her wardrobe, and of course he yells for Ma. Uh, <laughs> what a beautiful note to end that scene on. Uh, yeah, I just what a movie. Yeah, I'm gonna give this four and a half bullets. Uh, yeah, I, I, this movie, even though you know, kind of from like a segment to segment basis, it does kind of have like kind of like the overarching problem of like Jerry Lewis being just kind of like uh, uh, like a loser, I guess, yeah. or whatever, like hovering over it. And, and it's just very interesting how that kind of hovers above every scene. And like, you know, he even goes sentimental, like we talked about before, kind of going Chaplin mode there, mm -hmm. you know, bringing some some humanism to the mix and i it's it's just a really impressive movie on on, on every level and uh you know i i wonder it's i wonder if that dollhouse is still around somewhere you know what i mean it's still hey. standing it's it should they, probably not no, no definitely <laughs> knowing paramount they they've they turned uh, it uh, into uh, uh, especially all of that furniture that's in there are you kidding me that's yeah. like that's so much weekly revenue and rentals probably no yeah sure just logistically but it's like they that's that's a type of house that you know yeah. you gotta reuse for other movies you yeah know no I, mean? I wish yeah that's like awesome. a, a standing set Ladies Man Six, you know what I mean? But um, <laughs> Ladies Man Six, you could just make a, a whole like Jerry could just uh, reshuffle the deck with this well, type of movie. Unfortunately, yeah. he can't because he's dead. Well, yeah. so we'll be right back on extended. <laughs> clip. Great point, man. Well, the time in the vice pocket. <laughs> you want to read this? Yeah. To whom it may concern, this is to introduce Herbert H. Hebert, a very bright, intelligent, smart, and cute young man who is quite witty and kind and honest and works like a son of a gun, if he gets paid. He is willing, able, and a swell kid. He does all the things that are expected of him. Besides, he's also very smart and works like a son of a gun. And he will do all he can to help. He has the only respect that's highest, and he's cuter than anybody and smart as a whip. Besides being quite bright, he could be considered a swell chap and works like a son of a guy. When did you write that, Herbert? Last night. I didn't have any, so I figured I'd make one. Please do not bring your phone into the bathroom with you like Rob did. <laughs> that's an old, old school move. <laughs> That was like, oh uh, yeah, dude. that's <laughs> Lyndon you, Johnson. Yeah, like, he went LBJ on us, dude. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> you ever, you ever pulled that before? You ever keep a phone conversation going while going into um, the bathroom? Only like absolutely by mute. I like discreetly, 
You got to mute when you're peeing. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, that, yeah. That is it's smart. like you I've get you, you get them ready to spin their wheel. Like you ask a question <laughs> with like a big lead in, or like with like that's gonna they're like gonna have them talking, and then you mute during the pee. Sometimes you have to stop midstream and like like do a little like they ask you and you oh, yeah. and then you go yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not like I've dealt with this a lot. Just sometimes. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, I don't talk to people while I'm touching myself because I'm not a pervert. Whoa, 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 <laughs> you're man! You're twisting everything today, man. Just taking a whiz. <laughs> okay, I'm back. Thank God you missed that horrifying conversation. You would think much less of your boyfriend. Oh no! What was he saying? Well, now you have to say. Was, no, he's talking just, about like touching himself while no. he's talking. No, on the what? Shut up! Shut up! No. Don't let. Don't let Eddie bend, Eddie's bend my words. To yeah, he's a, yeah, he's he's really devilish. <laughs> but uh, um, no, I just like when I, talking. Well, I wouldn't mute you. if I was on the phone with you. I would not mute if I was peeing. But like, uh, just like how courteous. Being a, that's love. I don't know. That's yeah. You're you you. Wait, me? You're with a person? Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. On the phone with you. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, Like yeah, yeah. doing the. Um, you don't want to let your boys what? listen to you pee? Um, mostly my parents. You just taking a conversation. You're already talking to someone like I got to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Do you keep it going or do you like leave your phone? So you leave like your phone on the counter. You're like, I'm going in the bathroom. No, Continue say, on you know the what? line for a minute. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> if you're shitting, you can definitely take a call. <laughs> oh, that's, <laughs> that's, all right. Now you're really. Going I was going to say actually, I, I don't. I, I'm 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 turning away calls. At least me personally. When I'm in that situation, <laughs> one time I and I did answer like my mom was calling me and I was just sitting on the toilet and I just said hello and she was like, "Are you in a bathroom?" <laughs> you could tell by the sound design. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, I'll call you later." <laughs> so you, yeah, you got caught bad once and then yeah. so you're you're never that's a never again situation. Yeah, Eddie's smoking on that Minecraft cushion. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a he's got a bag a bag of weed that has Minecraft stuff all over it. <laughs> For the listeners at home, I fucking hate you. He's <laughs> smoking on that Minecraft pack. <laughs> <laughs> it says game over. <laughs> he has video, he's smoking video game weed. And we're back on extended clip. It's Malcolm in the middle. Life is unfair. Uh, mid-season adjustment, just going back to classic Malcolm. Come on. We don't need to do that tedious bullshit. Malcolm, how's your life been going? Do you watch anything good since last time I saw you? Yeah, you know, I, I guess, uh, we haven't done this segment in a while, but I'm not going to go back through the archives or not anything Not true. Like we did it a week ago. Well, yeah, but, uh, <laughs> sure. You got me. Now you ruined the flow of conversation. You happy? Um, <laughs> I saw Return of the Jedi in theaters okay. uh, on May 3rd. Not know, you know, may the third be with you. May the third be with me, and uh, <laughs> that was the first time I, I had ever seen it. And uh, I, w you know, I was impressed. It, it was pretty good. Uh, that you know that scene where they all get caught up in like a net, like a big old net. I feel like there's like a there's like a sequence in Pirates of the Caribbean two that like kind of almost takes that sequence like beat for beat, and like because there's also a scene in Pirates of the Caribbean where they're all stuck in a big net, and I feel like that's just like. That's not a, enough of a trope, you know, the big net. The net trope? <laughs> the net trope. It's like it, it must have been an homage. So, you know, all the Gore Verbinski heads 
out there listening. Uh, they should check out nets. Return of the Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go watch Return of the Jedi to find. Uh, if you like Disney's Pirates of the Caribbean two, you might like Disney's <laughs> Star Wars six. This podcast has really lost our edge. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Watching uh, Star Wars and Pirates of the Caribbean. I also saw uh, Evil Dead Rises. Um, that was kind of funny to watch because it's like Disney's The Evil yeah, Dead. Because I, I, I hadn't seen like an Evil Dead movie in years, and it's just like this is just a normal horror movie. Like, how is this like an Evil Dead? Like, what makes a movie an Evil Dead movie? I, I don't know. know. I can't answer that question. They read a big book. Yeah, they read. Yeah, the Necronomicon. A is that is that what it is? Like, there's a book that they read from, and it like summons spirits is that like the yeah, evil dead thing that, that's pretty yeah funny. that's <laughs> it god what, what well is that is that's that like that these like, what it's the halloween thing it's just like a guy named michael myers that he well, walks I've, around I've and stabs people well that's like way more in the lexicon that's way more in the culture than like evil that like i think evil, evil dead's pretty deeply embedded in like the horror nerd culture yeah, well, I guess I'm just I'm just a normal you're guy. Cool. I'm just a you're, normal you're guy. You're in the cool I, I horror culture. Hey man, I don't, I don't know everything, man. I'm I'm just coming I come into movies with the knowledge I have, and you know. When we started this podcast, Malcolm would come over to my house wearing a long sleeve video drone shirt, and now he's wearing like a buttoned up shirt, <laughs> like fucking wow. normal adult. The first shit. time, the first time I wear a buttoned up shirt, you have to you have to mention it. You know, <laughs> this is fucked up. Uh, I haven't watched anything good recently. How about you? Have you seen anything? Um, yeah, I watched something good, and I'll dig a little bit deeper into the trenches than uh, uh, Return of the Jedi and <laughs> Evil Dead. Not to not to throw any animosity Malcolm's way. We need to talk about we need to talk about the big movies too, as much as the little. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, I think this director has a new movie coming out. Uh, at like a festival uh, at some point soon. I feel like there was, in like the group chat we're in, someone shared uh, a like tweet about it because it does kind of sound like the, and I mean like again, her filmography does seem like it could be on the cusp of like annoying Brooklyn uh, filmmakers, Mm. Uh, but it's Joanna Arnau, uh, it's I hate myself, and then there's a little smiley face um, in the title as well. The smiley face is included. Is there um, a nose in the smiley face? But uh, no, there's no nose. It's just the uh, colon and then the parentheses. Okay. Um, but anyways, uh, it's Joanna Arnau is like in a relationship with this uh, poet James Keppel. I think, I don't know if Kaveh produced the movie or not, but he's, like, thanked in it. And, like, because of how, like, far too personal the movie is, like, it definitely, like, if you're a fan of, like, the way Kaveh destroys his life, I think you would probably like this film. And I I think Joanna Arno only has, like, her next feature is going to be released at some festival soon. She has a short film called Bad at Dancing that I haven't seen. But to get to the core of the issue is she's kind of like in a semi-abusive relationship with this like provocateur poet. Who's, his name is James Keppel. He moves to like uh, Harlem and he like sets up this open mic. Um, and I think they're kind of living together at one point and he's just dropping N-bombs at this like Harlem open mic, just trying to be like, he's like, it's, it's like dating like a, 
I don't know, the worst online, like, kind of irony-poisoned man. And he, like, treats her like shit and, like, actively talks about how uh, he's, like, not really that involved and, like, doesn't really care about her but just, like, likes fucking her. And it's, like, you're not, like, I don't know. There are points, like, disparaging her appearance. And she's sort of, like, um, trying to interrogate that relationship to herself and, like, what that means. Um it's, I don't know, it's very interesting. I think the most disturbing part is, like, she films a sex scene uh, in the movie, and then at the end of the film, uh, she shows, uh, like, the movie to her parents to get their reaction. And then, of course, when the, the sex scene happens, like, the dad, like, storms off and is, like, furious. He's like, I'm no longer a part of this movie. And the mother, <laughs> like, ha- handles it in, like, a slightly better way where she's, like, I mean, not slightly, but, like, there's there's no real good reaction, I suppose, you could have to this material as a parent. Um, but she's like, I understand, like, I'm not happy but I understand why you needed to do this and like needed to like work through these things. So she trolled um, her parents. Uh, not really trolling no, no. them. I think she's trying to get like some sort of earnest, like, um, I don't know, just sort of like interrogate her own relationship to like that type of abuse and just sort of see like how they feel about the film as a mm-hmm. whole too. It's weird. It's interesting. It's like only 56 minutes. So it's worth like, I don't know, short enough where like the gimmick doesn't really wear thin and a lot of the like uh footage is uh i don't know just weird and neat Mm. nice yeah no i saw you log that and i was very intrigued yeah that that other uh film that she has bad at dancing the short film i've seen a lot of people log um oh and it stars co-stars at least my buddy keith poulson uh staple of uh new york independent cinema uh, so, uh, that sounds cool. I'll check that out. Uh, Brianna, what about you? Did you see anything good recently? I've seen a lot of good movies recently, actually, looking at my, uh, letterbox, but I feel like it's, like, my civic duty to defend Charlie Day's new movie, which mm-hmm. I'm actually reviewing. I'll have a review out on Monday, but I just, like, I thought it was good. <laughs> like, it's got, I What's don't know. What's the movie you, called? Fool's Paradise, and, like, okay. it... Oh, it's, it's like people keep posting basically on Twitter like how low the audience and critic score ratings are on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got like a 17% critic score and I think even like a 38% Rotten Tomatoes score or, or sorry, an audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. It's just like, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> like everyone was like really hyped for it and like because obviously like everyone loves Sunny and like they're excited for Charlie Day's like directorial debut and like I listened to the Always Sunny podcast so it's like he talks about just like how long this has taken him like it's been like a labor of love for like 10 years and like he was just like I don't know you listen to them talk about like how much they love making Sunny and how much they love like making art together and like so like hearing him talk about that and hearing him like on the hearing them on the podcast it's like you you're I'm like rooting for him but like also like I don't know I I I watched it in like a fairly full theater like not not sold out but like like a lot of people that all seem to be sunny fans um and they were just like laughing I was laughing through like most of it I don't know I think it's like it's like not great like it's definitely like a first feature it's not like a perfect film like i'm giving it a fairly like 
like middle positive uh, review for Paste. Um, it like kind of like basically the premise is that it's like a very it's like a riff on um I haven't seen it but uh, Hal Ashby's being there and then he's like kind of like a little tramp uh, like a modern little tramp like he's this like mute guy. Um, and he gets picked up off the street by a producer played by Ray Liotta, who um, wants him to replace this actor who's being very difficult, who looks just like him. Um, and then the actor dies because he accidentally, spoilers, I don't know if anyone here cares, but the actor um, who's his doppelganger accidentally hangs himself because he's method acting. Um and it's he's like a cowboy and he's like try and i think the cowboy has to hang himself so he like goes ahead and like tries to hang himself to be more method and then also like it's a auto auto erotic thing as well um but so he dies and then charlie's like little tramp guy like ascends into like accidental um stardom uh which is like very fun cute charlie day is like so cute and funny and like likable he's just like mugging the whole time it like falls apart at the end i think the third act is like kind of a mess and he just like didn't know how to finish a story which is funny mm-hmm. because like he got screenplay advice from guillermo del toro and he like rewrote i think like so much of the movie he added like 27 pages he like added more people and I thought that was funny that, like, he still, like, the ending was still, like, fucked up. I mean, that also feels like a weird guy to go to for a comedy. <laughs> I, that also, yeah. you, wait, you're so fucking right. I didn't even, the like, think about that. The funniest guy I know, Guillermo God. del Toro. <laughs> um, yeah, I once asked Guillermo del Toro what he thought was funny, and he told me <laughs> a well-balanced diet. Let's good. He's got like a self-deprecating sense of humor. Kind of like a Woody Allen. Yeah, yeah. I ate so many sausages today. Okay, Guillermo del Toro. I don't need you to do. That's just Guillermo del Toro. That's how he sounds. Yeah, that's just Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. Oh, so many. All right. Potato pancakes. Uh, I did watch a Woody Allen. Uh, I rewatched De- Deconstructing Harry uh, like a week ago or so, uh, around the last time we did the last podcast. And I like Deconstructing Harry uh, for a lot of reasons. One, it's like the most brash Woody Allen movie. There's a lot of uh, a lot of f bombs and like talk of blowjobs. Okay, and stuff I'm like in. That. Yeah, it's the most dirty <laughs> language, uh, the most toilet mouthed Woody Allen movie, if you will. But it's very brash in its style. There's a lot of jump cuts. A lot of crazy handheld camera that feels like it's just like following the action and it's a very high intensity movie uh billy crystal plays the devil which if you know my taste that is the most perfect casting of all time uh because billy crystal personally is the devil uh it's it's also woody allen kind of doing a philip roth riff a little bit you know his his character harry this kind of uh, obscene Jewish novelist who gets flack for both being too obscene and, uh, you know, bringing bad stereotypes onto Jewish people or whatever. And uh, it was especially potent because I uh, read, you know, uh, or not read, I finished the book I was reading uh, a couple days after watching that and was like, I'm going to pick up another Philip Roth. I've read, you know, whatever, almost a dozen of this guy's books. 
let's finish out these Zuckerman books. I never read the first one, The Ghost Writer. Uh, so I've been reading that lately, and that has been better than almost any movie I've seen re- recently. Wow. i got to say, The Ghost Writer. Fantastic, uh, fantastic little novel there from Philip Roth about a young author, you know, meeting an old head, uh, meeting a cold-blooded old head who, you know, gives him some advice, uh, tells him how to, you know, keep keeping on. And, uh, in in the literary flashba- world? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and some okay. flashbacks to his uh, younger self. And, you know, it's classic Philip Roth fare. A lot of, a lot of good stuff, a lot of meta jokes about the New York literati and uh, just uh, perverse humor and stuff like that. Is there like a is there like a ever been like a successful Roth adaptation to your knowledge or no? Well, I mean, everyone loved that Ewan McGregor American Pastoral True. movie, right? <laughs> McGregor has <laughs> he got a Criterion Closet visit video because of it, you know? Yeah, uh, not that I know of. Not yeah. I would say Deconstructing Harry would probably be the closest because there's getting the, that vibe. The, yeah, just getting that vibe because uh, Woody Allen, I guess, had some animosity toward him too because he was buddy buddy with uh, Mia Farrow, Philip Roth, that is, he was buddy buddy with Mia Farrow. This is in the post Mia era. That's like Curry versus LeBron, Roth versus Allen. And like, <laughs> you know, like that's high intensity, you know, matchup for bragging rights right there. Mater lacrimarum, mater superiorum. But men call us by a single name, a name which strikes fear into everyone's heart. They call us. <laughs> And we're back on extended clip. We're talking about Dario Argento's Inferno from 1980. This is an awesome movie because it is part of the collection of Italian horror filmmakers making Italian-American movies, like with some American stuff. In this case, it's like a little bit of New York in uh, a lot of Rome plus Rome as New York, you know? Mm-hmm. But there's some real New York stuff in here, of course. Uh, but it fits right in with, like, that other early 80s stuff, like the New York Ripper and uh, stuff like that. Uh, but I I just found it so fun this time around. The first time I watched Inferno, I was, like, a little... I think I was a little too confused because I, I tend to veer toward more of the giallos that are, like more just like cut and dry murder mysteries almost rather than the dreamlike surrealist Argento ones. Yeah. I feel like, like this, like this is like not like these type of Argento movies. I wouldn't, they're not even giallo. They're not at all. Yeah. Yeah, People just know that they're dubbed poorly and they're like, Oh, that's giallo. True. (laughs) That, that is like, like, I'm like, I, I do get like Rain Man style ticks where, where people (laughs) call an Italian horror movie a giallo when it's not a giallo. Definitely a Poliziotechia. Definitely a Poliziotechia. Uh, yeah, but Inferno is just pure dream logic, like pure vibes. Uh, I love it. Uh, Brianna, you had seen this one before you brought it to the podcast? Yeah, I've seen it a few times. It's like one of my favorite movies. I like went mm-hmm. through like a like Argento phase when I was like a big horror fan um, was he like, like an er- cuz I know a lot of people Argento was like a gateway horror filmmaker for a lot of people or yeah. even a gateway like foreign horror person for a lot of people too. Yeah, he was like I would say he was one of my like gateways. He was like mm-hmm. like Evil Dead I think was like my gateway into horror really, but like I watched Suspiria um for the first time when I was I think 
like a freshman in college. That was like when I was really starting to get into it. Um, and when I got all my movie recommendations from Tumblr and I definitely yeah. got Suspiria from Tumblr. Um, <laughs> and I thought it was like the coolest. <laughs> Argento is definitely a Tumblr like style. Oh guy. yeah. And I don't mean that as like a criticism, but like definitely there's like, you can make Tumblr, gifts. Like, <laughs> 60 60s Godard is like total Tumblr filmmaker like there too like just looks nice and you can get like a little poetic like sort of sentence or two out of it there was um uh, which one was it um uh, fuck the one where the guy's face is all blue what is that one what's it called someone tell me um, Arrested just, Development? No, 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 no. The the Godard movie where his face is like he paints oh, his face. Oh, like, Hero I thought you yeah. were saying an Argento movie. Same, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. That one, that one. There was like I watched it for the first time last year, um, mm-hmm. and there's a part towards the end that I had seen as a photo set on Tumblr so oh, many course. fucking times <laughs> in my life, but I never had any idea where the, the you look at me with feelings or yeah. or I speak to you with whatever, that thing. Yeah, um, yeah. classic guitar yeah. just like <laughs> mixing words up and making it sound deep. <laughs> <laughs> Which I mean, hey, look, I love Piero LeFou, but a lot of Godard's like wordplay stuff over the years, it gets thin. You know, it's it's funny. It's like clearly just like wordplay. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just some ni- some nice rhymes. Yeah, uh, but yeah, no. The the thing is, I wish I had that as a gateway, like Argento as like a horror gateway. I got into him super late. I didn't even see one until we did Suspiria on the podcast like a year and a half ago. Oh damn! Um, and then I've been like super into everything I've seen since, basically. Uh, but yeah, this one, the first time I watched it, I think I was too uh, narrative cucked, I guess. I was just like, <laughs> I want to know more of what's happening. And yeah. then this time I it's was the... much more able to just vibe to it knowing Eddie. that it's like the very loose grasps of narrative going on here. What, and it's was just like... the first. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Was was the first time you saw this? Was it also at the same? Because I feel like we were at this screening. It was the blowout uh like uh oh no i left feature yeah i left after blowout because i was so i was i was having a rain man moment uh at the end of blowout (laughs) because people behind me were laughing oh no it was horrible that was awful but i like that was the first time i had seen inferno but i had no memory of it because i was stoned to bejesus (laughs) and like uh i only remembered like really the uh like the like rain falling down in the car scene mm-hmm. and uh yeah i don't know it was another thing i was also narrative cucked when i saw it and i mean also falling in and out of sleep where i was just like what's going on here but like obviously inessential it's the three sisters you don't get it it's the three sisters and they, uh... <laughs> three sisters Come on. The, Everyone the knows sisters. the three sisters. There's a guy there because I love of the how three they, sisters. They retconned it into being like a canonical thing. Like Suspiria did so well that Argento was like, yeah, I could, you know, that's like one of three. Like we're good. We could do another one just like it. Yeah. Uh, this one's the other mother. And uh, and then in the beginning, like there's the voiceover. It's like, yeah, I remember that from Suspiria. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Uh, but well, it's, I mean, uh, yeah, it's kind of an essential. It's just you know, uh, there's a guy in Rome. His sister's living in New York. There's some letters that impose danger. You see some danger lurking uh, in the giant building in New York, and in some uh, crumbling old buildings in Rome. 
and in a spooky library and a lot of it is oh, very yeah. dreamlike and might be in some of it might be in dreams and it's fucking awesome. Well, also, I feel like a lot of the confusion of this movie, it doesn't really, it does have a main character in that mm-hmm. the brother, but it like, it likes to you go know, away from go him. away from yeah. him and go from character to character, and it doesn't, you know, start with him. So it is like the likes the, to put its protagonist playing off ball. Yeah, exactly. Will. So it is. It is. There's a lot of, uh, um, yeah, it, it, like there's just a. The ball's getting passed around a lot. You you stuck you stuck me in a basketball metaphor, but it's it's <laughs> it, it, it is like it, it, you you might be unclear, and if you're trying to figure it out, but I think you might get confused. But I think that's also what kind of makes this is like one of the best like atmospheric yeah. trance yeah. horror movies of all time because it, it it is basically running off those fumes alone possibly, yeah. and 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 it pulls it off you know in a way where it just kind of goes back to the basics of. Uh, set design, sound design, and it kind of all unfolds from there in a way. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it kind of tells you how to watch it in the beginning when you're in New York and she goes to the bookstore at first to Kazanian's, uh, you know, books. And first he talks about how women are the worst readers because they always <laughs> want to believe the stories. Or the best. Uh, yeah, exactly. Or the best. But then when he says the key is in the cellar and then she's going through the cellar and then she opens up that thing, it's like, oh, literally that's just all this movie is is go deeper just keep burrowing yourself deeper into whatever building you're in things are going to get more surreal there's going to be more horror and it's just like an instructional viewing uh method almost like it's it's so awesome it's such a base metaphor uh the key is in the cellar you know the key to the movie is just to keep going deeper into the surreal madness and i i admire it so much for that and uh yeah i just i mean from right away it's like horror movie logic times a thousand where she's in that cellar she lifts open that one lid and then there's just like an ocean under it and she's like oh love that scene like i'll yeah. just i'll just take a dip in here so sick know? but it's so sick and then of course it ends with her bonking some fucking skeleton or dead people uh, on the head and it's it's so sick i love all the uh the dead and skeleton and zombie type creatures in this movie they are gross another note on this before i pass the mic i am getting greedy here because i want to set this theme up uh argento was very sick with hepatitis when he was making this oh, really? movie Whoa. yeah uh, he much like godard for tu va bien a movie i brought up earlier uh had other people on charge and set like a lot of days uh people that were on set in big roles in this movie mario bava Oh, there's Second one. unit director Mario Bava. He brought wow. Bava on specifically for like trick shots, matte paintings, uh, the skyline of New York. Bava personally made miniatures for. Uh, and then the production coordinator, William Lustig of <laughs> Maniac Cop fame. Production uh, coordinator? <laughs> yeah. He was just like running shit, basically. Though. Like, he was yeah, just yeah. all over the place doing shit, you know? Yeah. Uh, like, this is around the era of Maniac Cop, and especially shooting the New York stuff. Uh, there was a nice interview with him. Like, he was like talking about them shooting that scene of the guy getting eaten alive by rats and. Uh, at first having like the hot dog cart man like uh they had the real hot dog cart that was across the street it'll real reaction and then like built stuff around that with the guy you know running after him and stuff like that like uh it's it's awesome it's like so many different vibes of like post giallo italian horror eight, early 80s hollywood sleaze 
just total like art house dreamscapes. It's mm -hmm. amazing. I'm like so nervous. I really want to watch. I want to just finish the trilogy and watch his mm -hmm. his one for Mater Lacrimarum, but I'm so scared because it's like supposed to it's be just like, like awful dog shit. As like it's from like 2007, right? It's his like late period where it's like yeah. he's not his late period stuff. I haven't watched, but just like screenshots of it look like like PS2 games, kind of. I yeah. I saw Sleepless, which is like an O one Argento movie. He's got a pretty strong handle on things still mm -hmm. around I that mean, time. I don't know when that the the low rent era starts kicking in because I've seen screenshots of it. I haven't seen the movies. Maybe maybe they're good. We're wrong. I don't know. But um, yeah, I know. I'm definitely maybe like we're wrong. curious to watch them. I was just looking actually because I was talking to JT about um, his like last movie, Dark Glasses. But I was looking mm. at some of the reviews on Letterboxd and like Josh gave it like a pretty good review. And I mean, yeah. I'm like very curious to watch it. Um, but I should have watched that. I feel bad that I didn't watch that actually. Yeah, I think it's on Shutter. Okay. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I did. I did see. Uh, what do you call it? I forgot what it was called. But the Gaspar Noé movie where he was. The oh yeah, actor. Vortex. Vortex. That movie's what so a, miserable. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it was just it was for me. It was just interesting to see. I don't know, Argento, you know, I guess he still does make movies, but they're not as highly regarded, kind of just in, just a acting fully in a movie. It was just kind of an interesting oddity. He's good. Me, just to see I that. thought he was good. He was good, yeah. He was yeah. a pretty good actor. Nowadays, the scariest thing about him is his dang daughter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> True. A lot, a lot of horror stories surrounding that that we don't need to get into. Uh, let's not get <laughs> yeah, into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, th this movie, like, it goes back and forth between Rome and New York. After you get that first New York set piece, you get a great cut on a musical cue to, like, uh, a musicology class where then you have your main character, Mark, and he has, like, his girlfriend in Rome, but obviously, like, throughout this whole scene, he's just, like, deadlocked staring at this woman with a cat uh, who we'll see later on in the movie. Uh, and it's just like, oh, what a great entrancing scene that yeah. is. And not the way that you usually think of with Argento. Like, it's all natural lighting, people in a classroom, and the camera just kind of slowly moving around and slow hypnotic editing rhythms. And it's just so cool. Yeah, it's super, like, sleek, like, uh, like white gleam on, like, the college wooden benches. I'm, I kind of feel bad that I never went to like a huge university that has like big rows like that you see in like movies yeah but i, I thought it, it did a good job highlighting the the impressive architecture of that school and yeah no that scene really stood out to me too it, it, like just the kind of simplicity of it but like you know just kind of like in a class kind of daydreaming quality but it's it's so effective and well made and i think what, what the information you kind of relayed of uh, the good hands this movie was in even beyond Argento. I mean, Mario Bava, that's, that's, that's interesting. I was trying to look up. I, I don't think he was really direct. Was he directing movies in the 80s? I, I, I can't I quite remember. Because I know yeah. also Lamberto yeah. Bava was True. also on it as like a pretty high-ranking person yeah, he's, on the crew, he's too. He's made quality work, too. So, yeah. um, no, it, and like, and kind of the plot being a little bit wary at time kind of make almost maybe speaks to that quality where mm -hmm. it's like this movie is like on a technical level and like, you know, uh, you know, everything with like sets and costuming and like the look of it is so on the money and the plot maybe gets lost maybe cause it's getting handed around to different hands to work on. Mm -hmm. But, um, just, uh, you know, shows the, 
the great advantage of a really strong crew kind of carrying through and, you know, uh, completing the movie. Mm. You know, with poor Argento with the hepatitis C. Yeah, I mean, it seems like, yeah, and Bava, <laughs> died, in, Bava died in 1980. So, oh, like, shit. he oh, wasn't no. around much longer after he, this movie. I, he, like, he must have not, he might have not seen this movie, to be honest. Yeah, because I think Inferno came out in 1980, right? So Yeah, it came out in 1980. Uh, yeah, no, it's so cool. Uh, J- JT, what do, you, what do you think about this one in general compared to the other uh, Argentos maybe that you've seen? What Argentos uh, have you I, seen other than Suspiria? I haven't seen all that many. Just okay. Suspiria and uh, this and uh, Bird with the Crystal Plumage, oh, which, like, I gotta see that, that one I think is definitely the weakest of the three like is less like i don't know less expressive lighting and cinematography but i don't know this time around inferno definitely just like clicked for me because it's like again like the plot elements are just so much like i don't know you get the gist of it it's just like there are three witch women kind of anyone you find like anyone who finds out about it gets killed simple Mm. as that that's all you really need to deal with. <laughs> and uh, just there are so many, like, I don't know, just weird, like, little gross bits that you want in this kind of movie. And, I mean, aside from just, like, the atmospheric qualities of the sets and mise-en-scene, I love, I don't know, I feel like Giallo movies, I mean, not to, like, uh, I know we talked about sort of the demarcation there, but just maybe at large, like, Italians with their treatment of animals in movies oh, in the yeah. 70s and 80s is just like crazy and we're seeing like uh, like the stuff with the rats where the rats are like devouring that guy I'm like how like I mean obviously they're not actually like biting him but like what's the what's the spread there what's the yeah. mix on like, like fake rats to real wind-ups? rats they're like yeah. throwing well, let's cats just say at one that, point. That scene was shot at Central Park, and all the close-ups for all the rat stuff was shot in Italy. For oh. take that for whatever you will. Wow. For what's going on with those rats? <laughs> some, some, the rat specialist in Italy. Well, the thing is, yeah. uh, I mean, they try to hold people accountable. Fulci had to literally go to court to prove that he didn't kill a dog in one of his movies. Yeah, like and, he had to oh, bring shit. the dog that was involved. And of course, the famous <laughs> Holocaust case. Yeah, of course. Dorado, yeah. R.I.P. recently. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I like to remember him for uh, Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man. You know, <laughs> that's a fun movie. That's a fun Poliziotecha. Uh, Poliziotechi, I think. Um, yeah, so w- once we're back in Rome, we get a few amazing set pieces, like obviously uh, going into that library where you're just like in a dungeon of cauldrons, and the cauldrons are filled with oh, this weird goo. Love that and, shit. Like, the when goo. the score switches over from more of like a haunted house classical score to the crazy prog rock uh, by mm. one of the dudes from uh, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. <laughs> It's so sick. And I love how reserved it is, though. For the most part, it's more of a classical horror score. And then there's two themes that are just like crazy psycho prog rock, you know. Uh, and I love that. 
that the one song they do in sort of the climax there, where they actually they throw in the suspiria, they say suspiria in there as well. It's yes. just like a nice, hey, come on, like come on, it's witches. It's kind of like we're this, this is the same thing. You like that, didn't you? I feel like just remembering these movies, like there are like scenes in like suspiria that I thought were an inferno and like vice versa, mm-hmm. just like in my memory, like kind of like uh these two movies in particular kind of have like a particular type of uh i guess like the lighting schemes are kind of similar in a yeah, lot totally. in a lot of ways that where I, I just kind of think of them uh similarly and i, I feel like it, it can't be stressed enough like the and this is why this is like the big this is why he was so popular on tumblr of course like <laughs> the the lighting in these movies yeah. is Unreal. insane it's like yeah. and it's like the best like neon lighting schemes ever yeah. In movies, period. And a lot of yeah. it is production design, too, beyond what the lighting crew is doing. Like, the the walls and the furniture and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then that, in combination with gelled neon lights and stuff like that. Like, the colorful lighting and the colorful set decoration, in combination, just makes some of the craziest atmosphere you can possibly get in a movie. Also, it's framed beautifully. Mm-hmm. You know, the slow camera movements the kind of hypnotic editing rhythms it's just it's kind of indescribable it, it gets into the things that are hard to talk about on a podcast why they make it so great but it puts you into a fucking trance absolutely like the, yeah. like just kind of like it's balance its own special balance of like red and blue and how it uses that and like how unique that is to like any other movie i feel you know you, you see like you know, kind of like it was like a trend, you know, the neon lighting and whatnot. But like the way these like contrast and then will blend with each other is just so impressive. And, and like a lot of people who tried to imitate it, I feel like are not even pinpointing exactly the complexities yeah. of you know, yeah, where they never forget. It was the misogynist Italians that invented bisexual lighting. <laughs> that is, there's a lot of downstream culture from the misogynist Italians, <laughs> like it or not. It's very true. They're they're big in the joke rankings. People love the Italian mm-hmm. jokes. Uh, in Rome, the the like seat partner and I guess girlfriend of the uh, Mark character, she like gets out of that library dungeon uh, where you see like one of those like witches by the hand, you know, <laughs> and then she like meets some dude in the elevator and hangs out with him, and he's like a sport. He says, "I'm a sports writer <laughs> for television." Yeah. So. I don't know what is Skip he? Bayless? He's Bill Simmons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that that that, uh, not, that you know sparks another idea I have in this. Not a lot of dialogue in this movie. No, it's either like explaining the twisted sisters, the three sisters, or it's like a lot of the go- you know some light comedic relief with the <laughs> yeah. dialogue. Or just like, like the the three sisters. That you mean that black music group? Oh yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> so good. <laughs> And like the dubbing kind of makes it in like the like tone of voice he's saying, yeah. like the dubbing quality makes it almost, you know, even funnier. But like just it is like there's so little dialogue in this movie. And maybe that's where people get confused to. You kind of just have to soak in the atmosphere. But um, when people do talk, it's usually just something light or goofy or it's, you know, like, I don't know, yelling or some yeah. shit. Uh, yeah. So that scene has a great kill in it, obviously, where uh, he is led to. Uh, the phone, I think, or uh, something in the other room and gets stabbed in the neck. Uh, and then she also gets stabbed right after that, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we go back to New York on a phone call cut. Uh, yeah, 
Uh, Her brother. After, yeah, after the execution. And yeah, it's uh we're back in that building in New York. We get that lady who's uh has like a vampire butler, you know. That guy's pretty awesome. Uh and, you know, it, it's just that's when you get the cats also. Get a bag of cats, you know. Maintenance. When, when the poor cats, cats are just getting thrown from off camera at a character. That's pretty hilarious. And then uh yeah, just a bag full of cats and a box full of rats and a guy getting eaten by rats at a lake. Just insane. Yeah, kind of almost seemingly not even like related to no. what's going on, <laughs> which is which is even great. Kind of uh, That guy seems like he was trying to torture like Mark or whatever. Yeah. And then just like went off on his own flights of fancy and fucking <laughs> died of rat infestation. <laughs> It kind of reminds me of what happens in Suspiria with the blind character. Right? Yes, yeah, so I was thinking that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so it basically just ends with a you know place getting burned down and uh, true that is away kind of like the end of Suspiria. It's like oh okay, movie's over. It is kind of funny like it's revealed it's revealed like you know not to criticize it because the movie is great either way, but it is like it's like he kind of he goes deeper and deeper like you're talking about. The key, he keeps going deeper and deeper into this inferno, and it's you know represented by literal flames at the bottom and it, you know he meets the the sisters you know also, also well, he also meets the architect in yeah, a very proto true. matrix moment <laughs> yeah he meets the architect which that's sick that he's like you know this house is basically me you know it's my my lungs but um yeah and, and then it well it's just like he kind of figures out oh there's some evil stuff going on here and he's like well better get away and then he does and that's that's the movie pretty funny pretty funny just like kind of like non-ending you know? yeah uh also yeah when the mother like turns into death it's just like a spooky skeleton costume <laughs> like <laughs> and it's still it scary but it's like it's so funny that it it's does. just like the most chintzy skeleton <laughs> costume that this movie does rule it does kind of wind up and then it kind of just does not deliver like yeah. anything <laughs> at the end yeah no it's just such a it's such a weird thing like especially like the logic of, like, witches, like, being death and, like, I don't know. I love just throwing, like, throwing shit to the walls and seeing what works. I also mm. didn't realize until this watch that, like, Suspiria ends with Susie killing Mother Suspiriorum. But, like, mm -hmm. I mean, I guess the mother in this dies, but it's more just, like, I'm, I'm her. And then he, like, runs away and then the place burns down and then it ends, <laughs> Yeah, and you even get that cut back to the building where she's just in there by herself bringing down, like, more of the baseboards. Like, yeah. Right? It's like, oh, I don't know. Maybe it's open-ended. Who knows? True. That That's kind of a... We need some Argento theorists on that because that, that is a bit confusing. Oh, but I'm sure there's plenty of people <laughs> just dying to tell us. I'm, I'm willing to be told, you know. Uh, I think this is a great movie. We've talked a lot about it, and we've talked about why we can't talk about it, too. So it's one of those movies. Uh, all the kills are, like, really funny and gross, and uh, the atmosphere is just next level. Yeah, I'm going to go four and a half bullets just because I'm, I'm just so, like, I, you know, I'm basically ringing the same bell I was ringing before, but just so impressed by this movie on a technical level that I feel like it's just it looks so much better you know than any other movie that's trying to look like this like it really is the peak of this look like I feel like like I love Suspiria but there's like moments in Inferno that like I feel like Suspiria has more narrative drive so sometimes those mm. visual moments could feel a little bit more impactful but just off the pure 
power radiating from an image, I feel like Inferno might even top Suspiria for me just on just on that basis because I I just uh, some of the hues and stuff that are just brought out in this movie just uh, I don't know they just really do it for me. So yeah, I love Argento and I feel like this is his best looking movie. Uh, yeah. JT, what about you? Yeah, I'm going four bullets as well. No additional thoughts. No, I mean, like, I feel like we... Uh, no, I, I mean, we said all there is to say. Like, it yeah, is, like... Sure. Again, like, harder to articulate why the... Um, I don't know. Just the atmospheric qualities of it succeed. I mean, again, like, we're we're hardcore auteurists here, certainly. Uh, um, but, like, I like what... Uh, lest we forget what Malcolm was saying earlier about how this is this is really a whole crew production, how everything uh, came together there uh, with the Bavas. Um, and, like, uh, again, like, I love the uh, uh, Keith Emerson score, too. And just, like, I don't know. Every piece of this works... Um, where it needs to, and again, like it doesn't have, like, not to say like the, the there's a strong narrative drive in Suspiria, but like abandoning that like is just like makes for a movie that is like almost equally as successful in my eyes. Uh, I'm gonna give it four point five bullets. I think Malcolm was the one who said that like it feels like. Inferno sometimes surpasses Suspiria. I also like sometimes think like I love Suspiria. It's like one of my favorite movies of all time, but sometimes I think that I might like Inferno more just because I think it really it's both of the movies scratch my like hidden Your secret space my secret secret spaces itch um and this one I think like scratches that itch even more and then on top of it i also like love obviously both are very colorful beautiful movies but i i think i prefer the hues um that are brought out in this movie and i like i i also what you guys were saying earlier about being narrative brained like jt knows i'm very i'm i'm still very narrative brain when it comes to movies like i love a good story i feel like Mm -hmm. first and foremost but like i also really love a good just brain off atmosphere be hitting movie and like mm. i have plenty of those that i love and like this is this is one of them for me like if there's no story or the story is like you know whatever but i don't know all the mood is right i'm i'm all in especially with like horror movies but i feel like yeah. movies like inferno just don't exist anymore this kind of creeping like dreamlike like i mean obviously but yeah, no, it's just like a good enough vibe to get you from one moment to the next kind yeah. of horror movie. Producers <laughs> wouldn't give people that much freedom. At least you know in American horror movies and how American movies are made, they would be like, Well, what does that mean? That doesn't right. make sense. You know, yeah. they would they'd be they would be nitpicking for sure. Oh, you think there's not enough freedom in America? get ready to learn chinese buddy eddie i really don't think there's enough freedom in america particularly for uh the lower class (laughs) bipocs all those people man so i feel i feel like we we gotta we gotta make america a better place for those people sincerely make america no jokes about that Mm. can't joke about that now can you eddie no (laughs) no i cannot (laughs) 
<laughs> well, we've reached the end of our broadcasting period. Next up on the radio, we got uh, no, uh, Rush Limbaugh. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Brianna, thank you for coming on to the podcast. Uh, you, of course, have plenty of work for people online to look at. Uh, anything in particular right now you want to plug for the people listening right now? Um, I guess I would prefer most to plug my Substack, which is uh, briannaziggler.substack.com. And then if you want to read more of my work, you can find me usually uh, at Paste Magazine. That's where most of my stuff is right now. But I'm here and there. I dabble. I get around. So <laughs> You can find her online. You can find JT online. You could find Malcolm online. Eddie no but, longer can be found yeah, no. online because he got he got trolled. Let's let's put that. No, I'm just kidding. Trust me. <laughs> Do you think I haven't been thinking regret twenty four seven? I feel I. This is you know this is this is podcast is a brotherhood, of course, right? Yeah. I feel bad for not warning you, dude. I should have told well, you. I should have just the deleted tweet. it. Like yeah, yeah. like I should have just. Because I, because I, I thought I was like he's def. I definitely had a thought like when you were saying, you know, when that happened, I was like he's definitely gonna get suspended for that. Well, suspended <laughs> people have been permanently banned. Which you're I, permanently we, banned. Yeah, they said they're not gonna let me reinstate. Oh my, my god! I mean, <laughs> so it's pretty. It's, it's pretty. It, it's by the letter of the law. Yeah, <laughs> I've uh, sent in an appeal. <laughs> I'm not an Elon Musk guy, but if you look yeah, at the yeah, rules, yeah. well, now we hired this new liberal CEO, I guess. So <laughs> I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> um. So yeah, that's that's, that's unfortunate, man. There there's some good so there's some good stuff on there. If man. you're if you're listening to that, make sure you follow up the uh, extended clip account on Twitter. It's at extended clip sixty nine. Um, I'll think of something else. I I don't know. Whatever. Maybe I'll get my account back in time. But feel it for, out for feel the meantime. Out. Follow at extended clip sixty nine. That is my account. And if you are using that as evidence that I'm evading a ban. <laughs> Malcolm said that. Oh shit. I forgot. <laughs> uh, 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 Damn. Well, if, if they listen to all the way here to to get us, you know, respect to you. Well, remember that part in private parts where yeah. it was like people who like Stern listen for 2 hours and oh. people who hate Stern listen for 4 hours. True. The red scare technique. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, uh, uh. uh all right. Goodbye. Don't just stand The second key is hidden in the cellar.